Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, and make sure you follow us at Westminster Effects Facebook and Instagram and subscribe and all that good stuff. We're not joined by... Lutheran John, but we are joined in person by... Hey everybody, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. The main topic's all your idea. <laughs> That's Just scary. start. <laughs> Normally, if I ask you if you have any ideas, it's like, no, not really. And then this week, you're like, yeah, let's talk about church size, managing growth, and stewardship of the church's resources in a modern economy. So where where do we even start? I guess maybe the fact that we have had some some pretty significant church growth recently yeah. in the past couple years or so, and we're retaining those people. We are. Which is uh, relatively anomalous for most church growth, even church growth strategies in America right now, is you assume that your back door is almost as big as your front door Mm -hmm. a lot of times which is really sad Mm -hmm. uh but we're not sad here because our people come here and then they stay here yeah so how how has that happened well i I don't i think other than other than god's grace like we we are granting providence and god sovereignly working we're talking on the human level yeah you know i i I'm hesitant to get too emphatic about the reasons why or how our current growth has happened. Um, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of factors that, you know, many times don't get considered or don't get enough consideration. You know, for example, um, there may be a church that, um, like Res, is seeing fruitful ministry, um, uh, you know, has gained a lot of clarity about its identity, mm-hmm. uh, vision, direction, core values. The culture of the church has gotten healthier and healthier. These are all things that have happened at Res that I would say are contributing factors via God's grace for mm-hmm. our current growth. Yep. But in a different context, for you know, i.e., not Bible Belt, uh, not South, mm-hmm. maybe not even America. You know. That may or those things may or may not translate into the kind of numerical growth that we're seeing at Red. Right. You know, there are other factors, is my point. So I don't want anyone listening to conclude that we're saying if you do the same things that Res has done in the last few years, you're going to grow numerically. Right. And I would note that basically every time that there's been clarification on doctrine or culture here, initially. There's been a little, not a lot, a lot, not like a church split, but there's been a little bit of contraction sure. numerically. Sure. But then that leads to additional growth down mm-hmm. the road. Sure. And so, with that preface, I guess I would say that, um, you know, because of all those things, and and ultimately, decisively, because of God's grace, because we at Res we do not have a growth strategy. Right. We, we are not employing methods, philosophies, tactics, um, we, programs. We don't market at all. We don't market at all. We have a sign. 
We have a sign, <laughs> and we have a very small social media presence. Yep. Uh, that primarily services the people that we already have. Right. We do live stream our services and post videos of our sermons on our website, which I do think is a part of our front door. Yep. Um, but we have never devoted a lot of time, energy, or money to how can we grow bigger. Mm-hmm. But this is, I think, the right way to think about it. The Lord has seen fit to add to our number. Um Yep. And and that seems to be an ongoing thing, not an initial surge of some kind that levels off. Uh, I've been through those kinds of things in the past. Mm-hmm. This seems to be a steady uh, influx of new people that's happening that are sticking and staying with us. And in addition to that, there's been a fairly dramatic increase, not only in the number of people the Lord seems to be sending us, but in the number of dollars that the Lord is entrusting us with. Right. And I also see that as his grace as well, because you know, you you're you're a trustee at this church, mm-hmm. but you've been here how many years? The last week of December will be ten years for me. Ten years here, and how many times have you heard me or anyone else in leadership get up and make a, a heavy giving push? Uh, never. It's like, we just don't do that. Right. We, we, we've had the capital campaign for, for our renovation, but it was literally, Hey, give if you want, but if you're going to be grumpy about it, don't give, don't give I, you know, and I, I, so if the Lord is seeing fit to entrust us with more people and also more resource, then I think you have to start asking the question, all right, Lord, what what do you what do you want to do here? Yep. How how do you want us to go about stewarding what the more that you're giving us? Mm-hmm. And that leads to all kinds of other questions. Which when you ask me what should we talk about today, um, this is kind of what's on my brain: is that um, how big should a church get in one location? How many right. people can we effectively pastor um, and still maintain the same? DNA, culture, core values that we feel like have actually been contributing factors to the growth we're experiencing. Right. You know, there comes a point at which um, lines of, you know, uh, both growth and complexity start to cross. Right. And even when, you know, like John Piper um, retired or, or stepped aside as the, uh, the head pastor at Bethlehem, one of the things I heard him say was that he felt like that the challenges that were presenting themselves, the, the, the complexities that were manifesting as a result of their numerical growth, he felt like needed new and fresh leadership. Mm-hmm. So you could chalk that up to j- just being his age, or it could you could also chalk it up to his pastoral capacities were getting tapped. Mm-hmm. So I have, at 46 years old, I have some level of awareness that I have a certain capacity um, for pastoral leadership, which means mm-hmm. if we're going to grow, we might have to think differently about, I hate to say managing that growth, but stewarding that growth because the right plan may not be for us to just keep building bigger buildings and, and, and adding more and more seats right, and adding more and more and more staff in one location. Yeah, and we are not 
anti-large church. Not at all. And I don't think the Bible is either. There's there's nothing biblical saying you should you thou shalt not exceed X number of members no. or attendees or whatever. Uh, but there is something to um, actually knowing the faces of people that you're going to church with. I think so. And when you when you're cramming in a thousand people into a service, one, there's literally no way that you're going to know everybody's name. No. For one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for two, there's even more so no way that you're actually even going to know their stories. Right. Um, much less their faces or what have you. And so there's there's something to almost an intentional, uh, not smallness, I don't think that's the right word, but maybe intentional intimacy? Is that is that maybe the right I, phrase that we're going for? I think, I think that works. Um, we're you're right to say we're not anti big church, um, and I don't think the Bible is either. There's we nothing, we have friends who are absolutely in or pastoring very large churches around here. That's exactly right, and and I'm certainly for the church growing, especially healthy right. churches that grow. Um, but you know, it's interesting that. I I hear more and more and more, and I read more and more and more from large pastors of large churches talking about how they can make their churches smaller. Hmm. Not 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 by sending people away, but like Tim Keller put out a video. Uh, well, it wasn't put out. It was a it was a video that he recorded not long before his death that was going to be aired at their upcoming conference at Redeemer, yep. I, I think, where their whole network gets together. And and one of the things he said in that video was that Redeemer, at its peak, had reached like, I don't know, 5,500 members, something like that. And he said that he felt like that, I think at some point they had made the decision to divide that congregation up into, you know, several smaller congregations. Mm-hmm. And he said that he felt like Redeemer was going to be much more effective at multiple sites of he used the number seven to eight hundred, as opposed to mm-hmm. one huge site with all fifty five hundred five or six thousand getting together in one place, and you hear more and more and more of that, where guys are saying, "Let's have more, let's let's disperse the congregation into smaller groups, whatever the number might be." I don't know that there is a magic number. We probably sure. all have ideas about what we think is best. Yep. Um, and, and we even have, with the amount of property that we have, we have spatial limitations for how many we could even right. do. That's you know, right. we we could probably do you know five hundred people in one service if yeah. we built a building that would hold that. Right. I think beyond that, we're going to run into some code issues, um, you know, with parking and other things. Oh, yeah. And and or we have to go to multiple services again. Which I think has its own problem. Which, which we're we're going. We, <laughs> I don't know if we've mentioned this, but we did one service instead of two for the duration of July, yep. and we're basically going back to two services in August, kicking and screaming. <laughs> Everybody, I mean, like I, I can't tell you how many people have said we don't want to go back, but we simply have we, to. We literally have to. There's no way when everybody comes back from vacation that we can fit everyone. And it and it's a good problem if we're honest. It is a good problem. And but but you know, I, I'm honestly I'm not dreading church on Sunday, but right. I, I'm dreading going back to two services. Right. Um so all that to say, 
I think I have more questions than answers right now. Um, but so basically, this is a recorded brainstorming session, almost. In in a sense, yes, <laughs> because you know we we took out a rent a loan in 2018 that was almost nine hundred thousand dollars. To we didn't add one square foot to our current facility, but we did some much needed significant renovations to our kid space mm-hmm. primarily in our sanctuary and um that that was a, a big undertaking for us um for some churches that may not sound like a whole lot of money that might be your monthly budget but for us that was a lot of money that we borrowed and we celebrated this past sunday that within five years basically we paid that off yep um which is also a big undertaking for a church this size right um, but as we've done that, I told the church on Sunday, I said, I, I want us to appropriately celebrate, even though paying off debt is not the primary mission of this church, mm-hmm. uh, we should celebrate that the Lord's been kind to us. And through the generous giving of his people, we've been able to pay that off. Um, but as a leader, I, I celebrate that. And then I also look forward. I yep. think it's just instinct, instinctive for me to start to say, okay, Lord, we'll, We've paid this off, and we're growing, and there's more resources being entrusted to us. What would you have us do? And um, I think there are size considerations. How big are we going to get in this location? And mm-hmm. then once we reach that, what are we going to do, and how are we going to do it? Right. And I think there are also economic considerations, you know, given the current economy, given the interest rates that – um, banks are, are giving right now. Um, it feels like, like if res were to have enough money right now to make a huge down payment on a loan and still borrowing seven figures because you just can't build a building that big. Yep. So we're still going to be borrowing somewhere in the seven figure range if we do it. Um, and then we're talking about the interest rate could be six, seven, eight percent, uh, and just brutal, honestly. And, and just all that money into a building, and there's just part of me that goes, "Lord, is that really what you want?" Because I can't, I can't seem to get my head around that the Lord just wants us to keep doing additional services. Because I don't, I, I do feel like that's a hindrance to the kind of worshiping community that we want to be right I, it's not it's not a nail in the coffin right we're right. still a healthy community but i feel like we'd be so much more healthy we're and 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 we'd be so much better positioned to maximize the lord's day if we weren't having to do multiple services right and and there's a variety of ways in which i think we could do that we could get into that if you want but I, I just feel like we'd be a better church. And so multiple services doesn't seem to be the answer. And there's part of me that goes, spending all that money on building, is that really what the Lord wants? And and, and if the answer to both of those is no, then, all right, Lord, what would you have us do? <laughs> right, right. And so we could brainstorm about that, but um, I don't know. You know, we we have a sister church here in town that was given a building, Right. They didn't have one. They were a mobile Had to church. do significant work to it. Significant work. But they were given the building. They were given the building. And um, significant work 
you know, in terms of dollars, still didn't translate into what it would cost for us to build oh, no. a 500-seat sanctuary and a right. lobby. Um, but, you know, it, it still was a significant undertaking. But maybe the, maybe that's what the Lord has for us. Maybe that's what we should pray for is, mm-hmm. Lord, I, I mean, I, I loathe the thought of moving because I feel like we have a great location. Yeah, we do. So there, there's just all kinds of factors to managing growth, and um, and I was talking with a friend of mine yesterday, who's a pastor, had lunch with him, and he's in a he's in a similar boat to us, probably even with somewhat more robust good problems than even we have. Like mm. his growth is, he's, his church is probably about the same size, maybe a little larger, mm-hmm. but they're growing at a rapid rate. Mm. Um, and he's not sure how he feels about it. Right. Right. You know, he's like, my staff is growing, my church is growing, and I, I'm not sure that I want, like, yeah. I'm not going to mention his name cause I'm not sure he'd want that broadcast, but <laughs> like that, if there's you've been a, going to this ch- guy's church, go somewhere else. <laughs> I mean, he, he literally told me, he's like, when, when I, when we started this church and we first moved into this building, that they have, he's like, man, you know, 70 people and we're, we're doing our thing. We had, you know, clarity about who we are, where we're going. And, and the Lord's doing some sweet things. He's like, I was just thrilled, just happy. And now it's like, this thing's getting out of hand. <laughs> and, and he, and he literally said, you know, and I don't want to be the center of the universe in terms of my church, you know, like, mm. it, it, and, and so there are, it reminds me of uh, C.S. Lewis's quote about picking a national leader. Have you heard that one? No, of of probably if, if someone wants to be the president of the United States, that should automatically disqualify him Seriously. from being president. Seriously. So what we should do is find someone who doesn't want to be president and make him be the president. <laughs> really? I mean, it's it, and you contrast that with again. We've already stated we're. Neither we nor Scripture is opposed to large church, mega church. But I, I think about how I feel with a growing church. I think about how my friend feels with a growing church. And then I have another pastor that I think I could still call him a friend, although I don't talk to him much anymore, who's pastoring in Texas, a, a growing church, and that's his vision. Mm. You ask him what he sees he the first one of the, one of the first things that's going to come out of his mouth is mega church. He'll use that term. Oh wow! He'll tell his church, yeah, that he feels like the Lord has called him to pastor a mega church, and that may be the case. It may be the case. Um, if, I, I know philosophically, you know, and from an ecclesiological standpoint, he and I would have vastly different views, right? But nevertheless, he's longing for it. Yeah, I'm like. And we're nowhere near megachurch status, but no. I'm looking at a growing congregation and going, man, I'm thankful. There's also a sober kind of pause in me about how do I continue to be the pastor that I feel like I'm called to be with a growing church? And how do I steward what the Lord is trusting entrusting to us uh, as a worshiping community and, um, you know, you know, when Paul calls the Ephesian elders to meet him, when he's on his way to Jerusalem, you know, he says to them, shepherd the flock of God that's been entrusted to you. Mm-hmm. And if you were to ask me, Bradley, what do you feel like the essence of 
your calling is from the Lord, that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm called, Whoever shows up. I'm called to shepherd a flock right. uh, alongside other men. I'm called to uh, shepherd a flock, part of the flock of God, and I just want to do that faithfully. And I don't want to, you know, bury my talent in the sand. I've I've heard that goes poorly for whoever does it that. It does. I want I want to take whatever the Lord gives me and make good use of it. Yep. Um there there's Jesus told multiple parables that clearly indicate to us God's expectation is that we in utter and total dependence on him, be faithful stewards of what he's entrusted to us, mm-hmm. that we do business until yeah. he comes yeah. with whatever he puts in our hands. And so that's what I'm wrestling with currently. It, yeah, so I think, um, so with the with the seeker-sensitive, the, the stuff that, the churches that effectively put on a skit every week, you know, they're there to entertain and put butts in the seats. Whoever's going to be, drawn to that is going to be drawn to that at this point mm-hmm. i think uh i think what has drawn a lot of people to us is the fact that we're expository and exegetical in our teaching yep. and on top of that we're not playing jesus is my boyfriend type of songs so True. we do have we do have a more modern style like i play electric most weeks um we're playing you know Stuff by Shane and Shane and City of Light, mm-hmm. Gettys. So, but but what we're singing right now, thanks to Stephen, is really really good. Right. Um. So you have one the teaching, it's biblical. You might disagree with it, but when we argue about it, we're going to argue from the Bible, mm-hmm. and it's not going to simply be our opinions. Mm-hmm. And then two, we're singing stuff that you can find in the Bible. <laughs> So a little bit of a theme kind of coursing through here. And then once you're in, you're in, it seems. Like people are going to love you. If you don't show up, people are going to text you and be like, hey, what's up? Right? Yeah, and that that was going to be the the other thing I would add is that I think, and this was something that I began praying about, thinking about um, in all of the, leadership contexts that take place here at res i've i've been talking about for the last several years is that we needed to get way better at connecting with people Mm -hmm. Um, because we've always had uh ever since i've been here and and gotten rooted there's always kind of that oh wait i haven't seen that guy before right that that's going to happen pretty much every week mm -hmm. um and then it was all right. I've seen them pretty consistently for four months, and then you never see them again. Yeah. More recently, within what the past two years is that it? Two, three years mm-hmm. um, since my parents moved, and we've started a membership class yep. called Discover Res, mm-hmm. and a lot of people sticking around is all their fault. <laughs> Where it's it's four weeks. It goes through, and really, the the actual substance of this is what we are. If if you want to know more about the church, that's really the first three, and then the the last one is all right. Give us your information; an elder will get with you. Blah blah blah, yep. kind of thing. And it they just lay out. Here's what our governance looks like. Mm-hmm. 
here's what we believe, here's how you can serve. Yeah. And that's it. But even just taking the time, and really, by time, I mean three hours worth of that, uh, has resulted in a much larger retention rate than, oh, yeah, I saw that guy for a while, and now I don't. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten better at that. And, and, you know, it sounds so simple even just listening to you say it out loud. Um, we tried all kinds of things before with regard to connecting with new people and um, even probably did some things that were way too gimmicky. Um, <laughs> and and this, your dad, who's now an elder here, he brought some experience and yep. expertise yep. to this. It helped us flesh out what this actually needed to be. Um and I'll actually go to the first week yep. uh, to be like, hey, I'm a deacon. Ask me deacon things if you need to. Sure. And kind of give a little testimonial of we don't have dramatic deacon meetings <laughs> ever. Uh, like that. that's one of my pitches is this is like we're cool. We always have fun actually yep. during our meetings. Yeah. And I, you know, so I talk to guys and I, I hear kind of what they go through with their deacons or their elders or leadership small group leaders and whatnot and i'm like man we just don't have any of that uh-uh. and i'm so grateful uh and i'm not sure it's not perfect by any stretch no it's not perfect we, we, have we even i mean we even had public church discipline what three four months ago yeah we did um and that was so hard but yet yeah the church yeah. responded well and um you know um yeah i i I just I feel like we've we've matured as a church, and um, you know I heard MacArthur say one time is that he felt like you know he would probably and he would probably acknowledge that there's a little bit of you know uh, anecdotal nature to this statement, but he said he he always felt like if he focused on the depth of the church, mm-hmm. the roots of the church, that God would take care of the breadth. Yep. Um, Actually, I think God takes care of both, but and I think MacArthur would say that. Yep, but yep. for all intents and purposes, I feel like that's what we've done here at Res, um, and the the journey, particularly of the last four or five years, I think we've seen that happen. Is that we we've we've our our depth has gotten deeper mm-hmm. and more solid, and now it seems like our breadth is starting to expand and. Um, because, because people want substance right now. Yeah. So many people have come from uh, these seeker-sensitive churches, and they just realize that there's not just a ton of substance there. There's not a whole lot to chew on, and they're starving. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I had a, a family member at church this past Sunday. Um, you know who she's in church every Sunday where she mm-hmm. lives. Um, and she came up to me and this is not a, a young 20 something. This is a seasoned lady. Um, she came up to me after the message on Sunday and just almost didn't know what to say. Like she said something to the effect of, I just never have read Philippians and seen and understood. Like I, she said, mm-hmm. I've got to go back 
and read this again. Yeah. I've got to go because and, and it, we were in the Carmen Christi in Philippians too. Like when you when you have a, a yeah. passage that has a Latin name. Yeah. <laughs> but it you know I I find that it's. I, and I think I shared this on the podcast, you know, when that missions trip I went on to Mexico and yep. um, that little Bible study, for those that may not have heard that story, it, it, I'm on a missions trip in Mexico and one of the young 20-somethings on the trip started asking me some questions about the sovereignty of God and, and I just said, okay, well, um, myself and um, a friend of mine that's on the trip there, we're getting up to read our Bibles at 5 a.m. before we start the the work day. If you and your friends want to join, you're welcome. And, you know, by the end of the week, there was 25, 30 people out there, all of them from different churches in different parts of the country, mm-hmm. some Texas, some Cincinnati, some Oklahoma, some Greenville, um, but they just, it just, I, honestly, Cody, it felt like they were starving. Yeah. And not starving for the impressive way that I can put words together when I talk. Right. But starved for the Word of God and seeing and, and reading and understanding the Bible for themselves. And um, I, I think that's at the core of what makes Res and many other churches like Res great churches, regardless of their size. Right. Um, and when a church like that starts to grow, um, I, I have been around long enough to, to realize that despite my, what feel like ironclad convictions for, for me, I've seen enough to know how quickly and easily the tail can start wagging the dog if you're not careful. Oh yeah. Um, and I think that's what the pause that I feel right now is that I don't want the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. Even with, uh, like our sound, we've had a couple of hiccups with our sound system recently Mm -hmm. and it's like, it's just a sound system. (laughs) The sound system's not the point. If we have to just turn the dang thing off, turn it off (laughs) and, and you'll be really loud. (laughs) And I can be loud. I mean, you know, right. It's, it's, uh, I've heard you do so on the basketball court. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. Uh, keep well, that between us. <laughs> well, I think I think there's there's something to all of that, and then there's there's also like as we think about numerical growth, where are we at this point between three and three fifty? If everyone shows up yeah, on a Sunday, like mm-hmm. and uh, our our facility isn't built for that, um, so there's something that's going to have to give at some point. Um, so. At what point do we decide, hey, this group over here, y'all go worship somewhere else? Not like kicking them out, but sending a plant or maybe partnering with another church on a revitalization project where maybe it's a couple, like six blue haired ladies mm-hmm. left in a paid off building and they need somebody to come in and, you know, bring new life to the place or something like that. What numbers kind of float around your head for that's the threshold when we need to send some people? Well, or maybe how are you thinking about that? I think, I think I'm trying to decide how I'm thinking about that. Yeah, that's fair. Because like every time we've met with architects and we've gone down that road and talked about what we could do with this property, our current acreage and, you know, um, 
factoring in code things like, you know, you put this much hard surface down on this property, you're going to have to have this much space for retention and, and, you know, all those factors. It seems reasonable that we could put a sanctuary that would seat 500 coupled with, you know, whatever number of children and, and, and what have mm-hmm. you would accompany that, which might get us somewhere in the six, 700 range. Which, which is assuming that we don't, and we haven't talked about this at all, but assuming that it would, we don't go to like a full blown Sunday school and then everybody's in big church kind of thing or something along those yeah, lines. Sure. I mean, the, 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 there's a number of ways, right. you know, you can do that programmatically, but the, the, the my point is, point being, yeah, practically speaking, if we were to just look at it from, you know, a square footage, acreage, all that kind of thing, you know, maybe we get we get somewhere in the five six hundred range, and we're intentionally looking to send people elsewhere. Right. I'd be okay with that. Hmm. Um. And I I think that the Lord would certainly uh, be inclined. I I think to to lead certain churches and certain leadership you know church leadership teams to think that way but there's part of me that feels like and i i i don't know that i've even said this out loud this way but there's part of me that feels like some facility expansion is coming right we're gonna do it yep and when when it happens maybe running alongside it at some point there's going to be an opportunity that the Lord opens up for us, yep. perhaps multiple opportunities that will present themselves. And it won't be something where we go, hey, we're going to get to this number and then. Right. But as we're growing, we're going to see, oh, the Lord's open an opportunity here. Right. And I right. think that opportunity might indeed look like what you're saying. I don't think I'm a church planter. Per se, right. right. Uh, I do think I'm somewhat of a church revitalizer in the sense that I—that's what we did here, um, and so I could see where, through our network and connections, that an opportunity might present itself like that, where there's a church with a building and a congregation that is either dying or lacking leadership currently, or mm-hmm. both, mm-hmm. might be something where we help establish i don't want to use the term campus i don't want to use the term start a new church i just want to almost just say hey whatever that opportunity is we'll try to maximize it right and it might be that yeah there's only 15 people left and they're lacking leadership but they have a building and so we we infuse that church with people who feel called to that um and in for all intents and purposes, translate the DNA and culture of res into that space in order for a new congregation uh, or a, a new, healthier, growing congregation to be established there. Right. But it's not, i tell you what it's not going to be, is it's not going to be a multi-site situation where my mug is piped in via <laughs> video to multiply. That, I'm not interested in that. You, you don't want to be Pope Bradley? I have no <laughs> desire. What, like, I don't think video teaching... Somebody Photoshop that in the podcast yeah. group. Pope Bradley. <laughs> I, 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 again, if, if you go to a multi-site church with video, I'm not saying that it's wicked or sinful, but 
I almost might. Well, I not, almost qu- not might quite. Too, but what I here's what I will say is when it comes to what I see Jesus doing at Res and how he works at Res and what he's done here and is doing that I think makes Res a healthy, vibrant church. Mm-hmm. I think video campuses would be a compromise for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I, I'm not interested in that. Yes. Yeah. Um, here's so a, here's I think a, I think this to sum that up. I I think that I am asking the Lord, what are our next steps? Mm-hmm. And as we take those next steps, I'm anticipating that the Lord is going to bring an opportunity to us multiple mm-hmm. opportunities perhaps for us to ex- continue to expand yep. beyond this current location in ways that I don't think are going to fit neatly in the conventional multi-site church model. Oh, of course. Uh, here's a thought that I just had is uh, often when you send, you know, church plant or whatever, uh, a lot of times the people who, who, bite on that opportunity are younger people mm-hmm. looking for an adventure. Yep. One of the good things about our church is we are multi-generational. Totally. We, we, we have absolutely had a, an enormous influx of young couples yep. in the last couple of years, which is awesome. We've also had the addition of several older people. So when we send, we're going to have the opportunity to send people from different backgrounds and different generations. So then the younger people who are going to go in guns blazing, mm-hmm. uh, hold on, there's eight people left in this church. Don't rock the boat too hard. Yeah. We'll, we'll be able to be the message from some of the older people, yeah. right? And so you end up balancing each other out. Yep. Um, and also benefiting from each other, and you get to actually practice listening to older people in the first place. Which doesn't get to happen in a lot of those situations anyway. Totally. You know, and one of the things I like about multi-site, you know, um, like I I have, Mary has a cousin who works for one of the largest multi-site churches in America. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've met him. Yeah. I've met him. Yep. And they do the whole video thing. Fine. Um. Well, I don't like that. What I do like is I do like the the shared leadership and resources among all the sites. Right. And 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 there's there's part of me that gets excited at imagining a multi-site church where there's it's it's not necessarily. I'm not saying that this has to be this way, but it's not necessarily that we have this congregation at 900 North Main Street in Greer where Bradley does the bulk of the teaching, and then over here at this other location, a church that maybe we took in, did some mm-hmm. revitalization work, has this pastor over that does the bulk of the teaching, but and and then separate worship teams, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, as opposed to there being a team of leadership that works together. Sure. With certainly there being certain people that are more focused on one side or the other in terms of their efforts. Right. Right. I think there needs to be a shepherding figure at each location that at least one, probably more than one, that they're they're focused on those people that gather here. Right. But yet there still be a team aspect to the content, the teaching, and also the worship leadership and also 
the facilitation of other departmental ministries like children and students and what have you. Like, there's something about that that if you could combine that with a certain level of autonomy and, you know, um, identity for each congregation, mm-hmm. but still partnership. Right. That's intriguing to me. I yeah. don't know that I've seen that. I don't think I have either. I think the closest maybe is Matt Chandler's church spinning off their campuses into independent churches. That I'm assuming still network and share resources I'm and sure. leadership. I'm sure. That's kind of what I'm thinking. There's a church here in town that is multi-site with live teaching at each site, mm-hmm. and they have a teaching team that rotates among the sites, so they all partner together. Gotcha. Um, I know someone who's on that team, and there are flaws in the system that I would want to address. Um, but that's kind of that's the closest thing to uh, what I'm talking about. I mean, really, what that what that is is multiple churches forming a micro denomination. Maybe in a sense. <laughs> in a sense, yeah. But at least, you know, there's a there's a team of, of elders that get together and, and they teach, you know, uh, expository. They're working through books of the Bible and they they get together and read text and plan teaching. Uh, and they discuss text as they're planning to teach. Um, and so I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of questions that I have, but it's exciting and it's good, you know, as we say, good problems to have. Um, yep. But if if there's a takeaway from this episode, I hope that it would be for those that are a part of churches that are growing and endeavoring to steward that growth, uh, whatever it looks like, is that we really do think well about it and not just think American. Right. Right. Get, get bigger, better, faster, uh, and 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 really not worry about the unintended consequences of just trying to grow. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the church needs to think better uh, oh, about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, shall we move on to the Inquisition? Sure. And this is the Inquisition, where you submit questions to us via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook, and we answer them on the fly. I did have Brian Morris queued up first, as is tradition, but I think I'm going to sandwich him in between the two bigger questions. So we're going to start with Michael Lupino, who asks, how much production is just becoming entertainment during worship? <laughs> and I would to that, I would ask, is becoming <laughs> or has been for a long, long, long time? Uh, there's a, an ad that keeps popping up in my Facebook feed for this company called Sunday Screens. And they specialize in basically the LED. Really, it's for the LED backdrops. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the big moving. Not, there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if that's what you're keeping people in your church with, I think we have a problem. Because ultimately, you're keeping them in church with a spectacle as opposed to looking at Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I, this is just your Bradley disappointed face. <laughs> uh, I, I, I get it. I mean. Oh, yeah. I, you don't I, want it to look trashy. You don't want it to look trashy, but at some point, you've got to decide 
how much help does the Bible need? <laughs> what a loaded question. How much help does the truth of God need? Mm-hmm. And, and again, you know, it, it can almost come full circle with what we've been talking about this whole episode. What's your priority? Right. Is your priority to get more and more and more people in the building, or is it to effectively disciple the people that God is entrusting to you? Right. And I think if you focus on the latter rather than the former, mm-hmm. what I've found, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this totally on me because there's no verse in the Bible that says we can't have LED screens. First Bradley chapter yeah. four. The more I focus on I I want to effectively disciple the people the Lord has trusted in, in to, entrusted to me. The less enamored I am with all those bells and whistles. In yep. fact, I, I the more I focus on that, the more I feel like a lot of those things are distractions from yes. the main thing, not yep. helping and uh, supporting the main thing. Because yep. I do think we have some level of stage lighting here. Yep. Um, we have we make use of video and screens to a certain degree. Uh, we live stream, but there is a minimal. If you come to Res and you experience Res, you'll see there's a minimalistic approach to those all those things, a very simplistic approach to those things because our primary focus is discipling believers and taking them you know, deep into uh, the Word of God and, and into worship and into prayer. And I I just feel like a lot of that other stuff can just be, it can be yep. very easily taking away rather yep. than supporting. Now, at the risk of sounding double-minded, I think there's a vacuum being filled by that kind of stuff. For, for instance, just, I know it's a different topic, but because the American church by and large, stopped thinking about how to engage with culture and engage with politics for so long. If you look at the Supreme Court, there are no Protestant evangelicals on it. Hmm. The only Protestant is Katanji Brown Jackson, and we all know that's that's like PCUSA or something like that. Hmm. doesn't even count. So you have Elena Kagan, who's Jewish, and literally everyone else is Roman Catholic. So Clarence Thomas... Hmm. Uh, and I'm blanking, John Roberts, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, all Roman Catholic. And I think that's because we forgot how to think about that realm. In a similar vein, we've forgotten, we've, we've been all about truth, and that's awesome, but we forgot the goodness and beauty part. Yep. And so, so many Protestant evangelical churches uh, basically were cool with, oh, yeah, we got beige walls. And the walls are at 90 degree angles. We're good. <laughs> which, which again, technically there's nothing wrong with that, but there's something incomplete about it when there's no beauty in a church service, which is, I think, why you see so many uh, people moving over to Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy mm. is because they do have something visual there that's not just a khaki wall. Uh, now... I don't disagree with that at all. Yeah. Now, at the same time, a lot of this looks like full-blown LED. It's a little much. <laughs> and, it, yeah. and a lot of it misses the point. But I think I think that exists because of the vacuum that's been created. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, we we need to nourish in the church a uh, a culture of creativity and expression and art and yep. Uh, and we need more stained glass with the on use day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and whether it's stained glass or something else, I mean, I struggle. Yeah. I struggle to see smoke machines and LED screens as <laughs> having the kind of substance that you know stained glass windows and uh, and the like bring but i i agree there there needs to be we need we need to emphasize beauty and 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 do that appropriately right uh, but and, i and even, know, and even think about even think about like the the transgender argument going on you can win the argument just by saying that's ugly yeah this over here is beautiful and you can't argue against that yeah yeah it's true and, and at the same time you know cody last night i'm i'm on a zoom class with uh, the the reading scripture class that Brian Onkin yep puts on we've talked about it on the podcast and I don't know there's 20 25 people in the class and we did uh two labs okay the, the class was 2 hours yep and for the majority of that 2 hours they were labs in small groups over Zoom so Brian divides us out into small groups i had mm-hmm. three people in my small group um three or four and um had them for both labs in two texts for the bulk of two hours. Yep. And those people were having an absolute blast. Yes. And yep. it was literally staring at a screen, looking at our Bibles, reading texts. What does it say? Yep. Why why was this author do we think this author was inspired to write these words? And it they were laughing and and ecstatic and and smiles on their faces. Uh, yep. And there was no need for an LED screen for me to do a magic trick of some kind right. or have an illustrated sermon. It was literally just let's read. It's there, and if if we're helping people see the beauty that's in Scripture, yep. Um, I think the beauty, the expressions of that beauty that would manifest themselves in the life of our church and the way we do worship on the Lord's Day mm-hmm. will be good. They, they will fit. And they'll be appropriate expressions of that beauty. Yes. All right, from Brian Morris, are aliens demons? <laughs> I'm assuming he's talking about all the stuff going on yeah. in the media right now. Yeah, I'm just going to lay it out there. This might surprise you. Yes, they are. And you base that on what? Uh, well, for one, if you look at a map of UFO encounters, it's basically the United States, and that's about it. <laughs> It's and a little bit in Western Europe. And so what you end up seeing a lot of times with these alien encounters, particularly like people who claim to be abducted, is these aliens, quote unquote, uh, advocate for like a Gnostic paganism. Everything's one kind of of a panentheism. Well, it's not coming from God for one. Uh, Two, if these alien spacecraft are defying the laws of physics, then either uh, your eyes are playing tricks on you because laws are laws, or there's something supernatural going on in order to distract you. Yeah, there's some um, Instagram blogger person that Mary follows who's a, I don't know. She's like a history expert of some kind, and and she said that there were even claims from some of these so-called whistleblowers mm-hmm. that they believe these 
aliens that if, if the government has indeed been hiding knowledge of non-human, non-Earth spacecraft and also biologicals is what they're called. Right. And that we actually have bodies or body parts. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess uh, wreckage from their, their spacecraft or whatever, that these are from another dimension. Mm-hmm. They've insinuate, insinuated they're from some other dimension. Yeah. Not just another part of the universe. Yeah. Um, there's a podcast I've, I've always been fascinated with like cults and even like nuclear explosions <laughs> stuff like that uh and and stuff like this too uh so there's a relatively new a lot of you in the podcast group have already latched on to this podcast relatively new podcast by brian Sauve. uh i actually introduced you to his music relatively mm-hmm. recently that psalms album mm-hmm. uh but it's brian Sauve and another guy called haunted cosmos Mm. And it's looking at all of this stuff from a Christian perspective, which I've never heard of anyone doing before. Huh. So thinking about things like Atlantis or uh, crypt- cryptozoology kind of stuff, aliens, um, men in black, quote unquote, type of stuff, the Mothman, mm-hmm. <laughs> all of it, and saying, all right, what clues can we pick up from the Bible that would help us sort through these things and basically the, basically their conclusion is yeah that was a demon yeah. <laughs> well and it could be and i you know i i don't know that we've ever talked so much about you know what your take is on the genesis account about the sons of god uh having relations with the daughters of men definitely and, the pre-fourth century that got popular of those just being the sons of uh, uh seth like I, I don't buy that at all yeah, I mean, like, it, there there seems to be clear evidence in Scripture that angels can take human form. Right. right. Biological human form. Including fallen ones. Including fallen ones. Yep. Um, and can apparently reproduce with humans. Apparently they can, and apparently God in his sovereign wisdom is allowing has allowed that to happen. Yep. Uh, I mean, you 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 read in Jude about angels that left their post and yep. are chained in utter darkness. Um, whether or not that was the same thing that was going on in Genesis, right. I don't know. But uh, that and is it First Peter or Second Peter like references First Enoch a lot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like they get weird. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I don't. It doesn't sound biblically far-fetched to me to say that if there are, if, if there's any legitimacy to what these whistleblowers are saying that are being interviewed by Congress, that it could be demonic activity. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I, I don't think that's biblically ludicrous at all. And, and at the same time, it's like, it does raise a question, if there is mm-hmm. biological life in, in, in other parts of the universe, um, that is got to be part of the created order. Yeah. And yep. You know, I, in some way or another, it still fits in God's grand scheme of redemption to put his glory on display. How? I don't know. Did Christ die, you know, for some of those people on other planets too? Like, like, yeah, you got to start asking those questions. Those those questions start to, to raise up in my mind. And then the other thought I've had is this is one big 
scam. Oh, yeah. To distract the American people from other things that are going on that the government doesn't want us. Oh, well, there's a, a meme of of normal people. Aliens exist, and it's the conspiracy theorist saying, no, they don't. <laughs> and then uh, the other great meme I saw was, aliens come to Earth and say, we're here to overthrow your leaders. And then we say, cool, how can we help? <laughs> I think that's pretty telling of what we're going yeah. through right now here in the U.S. Uh, Strange things uh, are afoot. <laughs> Last question from Drew Medden. What's your distinction between heretical beliefs and just convictional theological differences? That is a great question. And yes. I'm, I almost want to do an episode on that. You want to just kick that to next time and yeah, because do an I episode think this, on that? I think this is a problem. I, 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 oh, yeah. I've had some thoughts brewing about it because i think that in some ways we are we are too quick to label people heretics or Mm -hmm. certain things as heretical and then in other ways we're not quick enough right and i think we need to know i think we need to know the difference because um it's one thing for us to say you know hey this brother is out of step Mm-hmm. a little bit and needs to be corrected or whatever. We just fundamentally disagree on something that's not crucial, but yeah, that's a, that's a versus mm-hmm. someone who's just outright heretic. That's yeah. There's also an enormous difference between someone who let's say accidentally believes heresy, because if you, if you quiz most people, most Christians, then they would define the Trinitar- the Trinity somewhat modalistically. Yeah, which would technically be heresy, but there's a difference between accidentally believing heresy and being open to correction, and yeah. someone who's actually actively teaching it. Yeah, so you know we would make those distinctions. Pretty readily. I think Christians should be among the most ardent gatekeepers. Yep. Of words. Yes. That matter. Yes. Uh, among any other group on the planet. Wars are ultimately fought over the dictionary. Exactly. We 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 are too quick to overuse words and allow them to lose depth and substance. Yes. Uh because of overuse. And so I think that's worthy of an an episode probably. Well, let's right just here. plan on that for the next one. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Well, on that note, and I hit the I hit the button too late again. That's why we can't have nice things like proper professional outros. So thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology podcast. Go love God. Love your neighbor and makes music. Go buy stuff at Westminster Effects. We'll see you next time.